Uh, Stephen, do you hear me in the back okay? All right. I got to put my big teacher voice on and uh, do that. Book of Luke in your New Testament. Follow along. What? I got two of them. Yes, thank you. All right. Book of Luke in your New Testament, chapter 14. Again, follow along if you can. Just listen to my big mouth if you want to, however you want to do it. And uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 14, just for a few moments there. Um, but I am, a, uh, I am a teacher by trade, right? Some other teachers are in the house, I know. I'm a teacher by trade, and... Am I good, Josh? And when I give an assignment, and I do give assignments, I'm sorry, I have to, right? Got to justify something. I get all kinds of excuses, Here's some of my favorite. Well, you know, Mr. M, I didn't want to add to your workload, so I didn't do my paper. I said, okay, thanks, thanks a lot, man. You know, anyway, it was digital, but whatever. And then I get this one sometimes. You know, Mr. M, uh, my dog didn't eat my homework. My dog ate my Wi-Fi. And that's really, that's, that's a, I get that sometimes. That's a crazy dog you got. And maybe my favorite one is, you know, well, Mr. M, we ran out of toilet paper last night, and my dad's not feeling so good, and he grabbed my homework in a big rush, and I haven't seen it since. So at that point, I just said, you know what, keep it. You know, that's really, I don't want it. But uh, when Jesus Christ tells you to do something, you know what happens? People make all kinds of excuses. Right in Luke chapter 14, you'll see some of them. Look at Luke 14. Verse number 16, the Bible says, Then said he unto him, meaning Jesus was talking to somebody, Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, kind of like a big lunch in the park maybe, I don't know, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And people started making excuses back then, just the way people start making excuses right now. Notice some of these excuses. See if these aren't familiar. Notice the first excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. You know what a big excuse is when people hear about God and coming to God? Well, you know what, God? I got all this stuff. What about my house? What about my yard work? What about my car? I got to mow the lawn, right? I'm so busy, God. That's a big, big excuse. Keep reading verse 19. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to pr prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. So this guy's got oxen that are going to pull this field. And he says, listen, man, I can't come. I got my job. I got my business. I got my career. I got my livelihood. You know, I got to make money. That's a big excuse people give to God sometimes. And then the last one is, and another said, I, uh, uh, verse 20, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Some people say, you know what? My family, God, my husband, God, my kids, God, my boyfriend, God, my girlfriend, God. And we got all these excuses. But, you know, as a teacher, I might accept some of your excuses. I might listen to some, even if they are a little lame as a teacher. But 
Can I tell you, the Bible says if you reject Jesus Christ, you are absolutely without excuse. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, a little phrase, without excuse. And now we may make our excuses to God, God, or we may make our excuses to friends, but when it comes to God and His judgment, we are absolutely without excuse. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope today it would provoke you to come to God and stop making excuses. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this day, for this time, for this blessed word. Father, you're the son that, you're the God that hung the stars also. And Lord, surely you could give us a little space here, Lord, to concentrate on your word, see what you have to say, Father, and take you seriously enough to come to you and stop making excuses. Help us, Lord, to realize we are without excuse when it comes to that day we stand before you, Father, and help us to draw nigh while we can. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to the book of Romans. We're not going to turn to a lot of verses, but the book of Romans, chapter 1. The book of Romans, chapter 1. All right? I got two big excuses the Bible calls out that I just want to talk about. Romans, chapter 1. Let me get there with you. Romans, chapter 1, down by verse number 20. You are without excuse today because of God's creation. Let me say that again nice and loud for everybody walking by. You are without excuse today because of God's creation. The biggest excuse people make for not believing God is this crazy idea out there that there is no God. Have you heard about this? Some people that are rational people actually think that there is no God. They put a fancy word on it called atheism, and they somehow think we're impressed. But that's a really big excuse. Well, why would I believe in God? There is no God. But can I tell you that God says in His Word that you are without excuse because of creation? Because of this big, beautiful world all around you that you're enjoying right now? You are without excuse if you think you're going to stand in front of God and say, well, I didn't think you existed because I thought this was all an accident. God says, don't try that on me, honey. Daddy, you are without excuse. Look at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are... Without excuse. I didn't say it. God said it. God says that you can actually understand the invisible God by looking what he's visibly made. He says, you're without excuse. Doesn't that make sense? Hey, if I showed you a painting, you would ask, who painted that? That's not absurd. If I showed you a car... Well, I opened up Mike Murphy's garage and I showed you Mike Murphy's cars. You know what? I, you'd say, hey, who made that? Well, don't we do that with our cars? We say, hey, what make is that? Hey, how can you look at creation? How can you look at all this bounty all around you and not think about who created all that? Who is this powerful being that can allow you to put a a seed in the ground 
and it grows a tree or a flower that's so beautiful and amazing that allows people to come together and then life is born in the womb. How does all that happen? Doesn't it make you just wonder and say, is anything out there? Is anybody out there? Can I give you something really scientific? This one's deep. I had to Google this too. I mean, if you want something deep, you just Google it. So I was Googling for like three minutes, which is long. Nothing can't create everything. Boom, that's worth the, that's worth the sandwich you're going to eat, right? That's huge. I just did a mic drop right there. Nothing can't create everything. And let me give you a part two of that very deep theological scientific explanation. Something doesn't come from nothing. Amen. Boom, I know, I know. You're welcome. You were wondering if something could some, come from nothing, but because all this stuff happens in your house and you say, who did it? Nobody, but something came from nothing. No, something doesn't come from nothing. There isn't a building that was ever built that didn't have a builder. Amen? There isn't a book that was ever written that didn't have an author. And there cannot be a creation like you that looks at yourself in the mirror and looks at this beautiful expanse all around you that doesn't have a creator. It doesn't make any sense. You're without excuse because of God's creation all around you, folks. All around you. Just look at it right now and enjoy it. When you look in the mirror, and you look at this beautiful you know, panorama behind me, you know what you got? You got in that little eyeball, you got over a hundred million light-sensitive cells in that eyeball, and each one of those cells is more complicated than the space shuttles they shoot off into the outer space. How could that be an accident? Come on, you can't sell me a big enough bridge. Come on now. I know what they say, I know. Because I'm a nerd too. I've been there. I teach in school. They say, Pat, evolution did it. Time and chance did it. You dumb Bible thumpers just don't understand. Right? Wait for it. Science, 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 right? (laughs) Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you want to flip. Can I tell you, I, I like science. Science has saved my son's life with the help of God. I'm not against science. When the doctor says we did this experiment and this is going to work on your son's leukemia, I say, okay. (laughs) I'm not against science. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, look what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, right near the end, the Bible says, oh, now Paul was giving his friend Timothy some advice, and he says, oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, 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 falsely so-called. The Bible warns us against science that is not really science at all. You know what real science is? Science is something you can observe. Science is something you can experiment on. Science is something you can demonstrate and repeat. I'm all for that science, aren't you? That's real science. But there's another science out there that calls itself science, tells you to follow it, but it's not really science. It's not science to believe that life 
can come from non-life. That's not science because you know why? We've never ever seen that happen ever. Stare at a rock for the rest of your life. You're not going to get a squirrel, right? It never happens. Louis Pasteur proved it years ago. Life only comes from life. It's not real science to believe that some kind of mindless matter and energy made everything so finely tuned and so beautifully working out for life. That's not science. That's faith to believe that. To believe that everything is just laid out perfectly. You know when you get a cut and your blood has to clot? That is such an intricate process in your human body that it couldn't be by accident. There is nothing, folks, scientific about believing a Big Bang 20 billion years ago that nobody saw, that has never happened again, somehow produced all the amazing order you see all around us. That is not science. That is science falsely so-called. And God said, watch out for that. Have you heard of Isaac Newton? right? I'll drop an apple on your head. You'll remember who it is. But Isaac Newton was a big scientist, right? He's the one that gave us physics. He's the one that said, oh, that's called gravity. He's the one that worked out calculus. And all the people that took calculus are twitching. You could thank Isaac Newton. You know what Isaac Newton, that brilliant, brilliant mind said? Isaac Newton said, atheism is so senseless. That's what old Isaac Newton said. He said, atheism is so senseless. He said, when I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. He said, this did not happen by chance. That's just nonsense wrapped up in a scientific wrapper. That's all nonsense. But I know what they say, Pat. I know what you're thinking. They say, hey, but Pat, what about all the evidence they claim to have? What about all that stuff they tell the kids in school? Well, have you ever gone to the carnival and done like a shell game? Or have you ever been the victim of three-card Monty? You know, you play like the shell game of three-card Monty. I don't know where to do it. Some of you are just like, I got my dice in my pocket. No, but you know, they sit there, they put these cups, and they say underneath one of these cups is like the magic kernel that you got to find. And they keep moving it around, and you lift all the cups and you can never find it. It's like three-card Monty. They move the card around, they say, which one has the quarter underneath it? And you think it's this one? They say, no, it's that one. You think it's that one? They say, no, it's this one. You know, that's what happens in classrooms all over the place today. The biologist says... Oh, the geologist has the evidence. And then you go to the geologist, and the geologist says, no, 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 the geneticist has the evidence. And then you go to the geneticist, and the geneticist says, no, 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 the biologist has the evidence. And when you flip all the cards upside down, you know what happens? They got nothing. They got assumptions and belief and a hatred for their creator. That's what they've got. And they've constructed a system to try to get away with the only person they ever got to deal with who is God Almighty. And they call all kinds of names and they put fancy stuff on it, but don't let it scare you because when you flip all the cards over, you find out that they don't really have any proof. They just got circumspicion and speculation and hypothesis. And they say, well, it must have been like this because we know there isn't a God. Do you now, really? 
Go to Romans chapter 1 again. Let me show you why they believe that. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> you still hear me okay? All right. Romans chapter 1. You say, well then, Pat, if there's no real evidence, why do so many people prescribe to this? If you're saying it's senseless, it's right here in Romans. Romans 1, verse 21. The Bible says, because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And jump down to verse 28, 28 is where the money is. Here's why there's most atheists in the world, Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know why a lot of sinners say they're atheists? You know why a lot of people say there is no God? You know why a lot of skeptics don't want to come to church or hear you talk about the Bible and they say, well, that's stuff nonsense? You know why that is? It's because sinners don't like the idea of a holy God because then they'd be accountable to Him. Because once you accept in the beginning God, then you got to find out who He is and what He wants. And they want to run their own show. And they want to be their own boss. And they want to stay the God of their own universe. So it's pretty convenient for them to say, oh, come on, there is no God. Hey, sinners don't like the idea of a biblical God the same way thieves don't like the idea of police. They'd rather pretend they just didn't exist. Now, can I just reason with you? I may not like the idea of gravity, because I'd like to fly. I think this gravity is very oppressive. It's very limiting. I want to fly. How dare you say I cannot fly because I'm bound by the law of gravity? How dare you say that? There is no gravity. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't taste it. I can't smell it. Aren't those the things people say about God? Well, I can't see them, and I can't touch them, and I can't taste them. Even though I don't like the law of gravity, I'm still bound by the law of gravity. And people out there, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but people out there, and if you're out there, I'm talking to you. People out there, you may not like the idea of God, but in the immortal words of our founding pastor, Mel Sabaka, tough apples. <laughs> you're still accountable to the God of this book. You'd be wise to find out what he wants from your life instead of trying to pretend like he doesn't exist because you're going to get hurt if you do that. If I pretend like gravity doesn't exist and climb up on the top of this pavilion and show everybody how I can fly, guess what? I'm going to break my head. And this might be my last church in the park. And if you go on pretending like God doesn't exist, you're going to crash into him one day and it's not going to be so smooth. Is it really wise to pretend like God doesn't exist? I don't think so. Go to the book of Acts, which is just to your left a little bit. How are we doing? Okay so far? Amen. All right, good. I'm going to use that to get a drink. All right. What is this for? My sweat? You don't like seeing me? You don't like seeing me lose weight? 
It's going to take my makeup off if I wipe myself down. No, I'm kidding. All right. <clears throat> I ate a big lunch yesterday, so I'm going to lose 10 pounds tomorrow morning. All right. Acts chapter 17. You know what God did? God will not force you. God will never force you. You know what God did? God set the whole thing up. God set the whole thing up so you might look to him and seek him. He is not going to write your name in the clouds today. He is not going to show up on your lawn tonight. You might have just had some bad eggplant, right? That's not going to happen. But God has set everything up so you can look to him or you can have enough evidence to destroy yourself. In the book of Acts chapter 17, down by verse 24, the apostle Paul is preaching to some very cosmopolitan people. And he says in Acts 17, 24, God that made the world, he starts with creation, and all things that are therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You know what God did? God put you where you are in 2022. God stuck you right where you're living, right at this time of the year, right at this part of the universe. Why? So that you might look around at you and say, God, are you out there? Is there anything out there? Or is there just a big nothing? He did it if happily they might feel after him. If you might look around and say, wow, who put us here? You might stare at that little baby maybe and go, wow, who did this great thing for me? Who did all this? Go to Acts chapter 14. You got the choice. He set it up. So like Isaac Newton, you could look up at the stars and say, wow, that must be a big God out there that made all that. Amen. Or you could pretend that it just doesn't exist. Or he doesn't exist. You know, if you woke up tomorrow morning and found a big gift in your driveway or a big gift next to your nightstand, you could do two things. You could just gobble up the gift and enjoy it all for yourself and say, mine, 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 mine. Look at this. Look what I got. It's all mine. Or you might want to know who gave you the gift. You might say, wow, look at this gift. Life, breath, all things. Who gave me these gifts? You got the choice. And in Acts chapter 14, Paul is preaching again, and he's pointing people to creation again. And he says in Acts 14, verse 15, he says, Sirs, why do ye these things? Because they were worshiping him. We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea, and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, 
and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Wasn't God good to you today? You had enough money to drive here. You had something to, you know, you got some food. We got plenty of food to eat today. Sunshine. You know, you take all these things for granted, don't you? You know, I look at a boy, I look at my son over the last 11 months, a whole lot of stuff I've taken for granted. The ability to eat and walk and smile and stand up on your own strength. You know, God's been a lot better to you than you've been to him. And God's been a lot better to you than you've ever given him credit for. It's not how could a good God let evil in the world. How could a good God let you go another day without smiting you? The way you've been such an ingrate and such a lack of thankful person. God says, just take a moment and enjoy what I've given you so you might look up and see me. Go to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1. Let me give you one more on this. John 1. John 1. Am I making any sense so far? All right. John 1. You know, folks, if you would follow the real science, if you would follow creation with an honest heart and just look at it without all the baggage, without all the anger, without all the animosity, you know what happened? You would find the God of science. You would find the Creator. You would find the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1.1, you find out it's not a what that put us here. It's a who. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, meaning Jesus, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen. Just look at it, folks. Just look at it. Just, I've read books about people that never saw a man with a Bible, and they sat around there, and when a missionary came to meet them, you know what? They gave them the gospel, and this guy that had never seen Western civilization said to them, I always knew there was a God. I always knew someone was out there because if you just have an honest heart to look at all this, you would say, somebody awfully powerful put me here. I should find out who he is and what he wants. But if you go back to Romans 1, you'll find out why they don't want that. Romans 1, and then we'll go to our second and final point here. Romans 1, verse 18. Here's why. And I'm not trying to pour salt in a wound. I'm just being honest with you. Romans 1.18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. You know what God is saying right down there? Deep down, you know there's a God You might not know his name. You might not know a lot about him. But you know someone had to orchestrate all of this. You know it. But you know what happens? You hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
You like being your own God. You like getting away with everything because there's no police to watch you. You like that there could be no such thing as sin if there's no such thing as God. And you hold the truth in unrighteousness. You don't let that thing come up and influence you. You suppress it and keep it down because you just rather pretend like he's not there. Because it keeps you in control and the master of your own fate. But can I let you know a little secret? Lean in. God doesn't believe in atheists. I know you know a lot of atheists who don't believe in God. God's got a better one. God doesn't believe in atheists. Because you know why? When horror hits, guess who everybody calls on? When the bad news comes, you know what their first three words are? Oh my God. When those boys are in a foxhole and the whiz bangs start flying and the mortars start jumping, you know what they're going to say? Oh my God. When a car starts careening and starts going over the embankment and God forbid something like that happens to you, you know what they're going to say? Oh my God. And the God that they ignored all their life is going to be the last one they call upon and then it's going to be too late. I'm suggesting if God is real and God is good and God is love, why don't you call upon him now and find out what he wants for your life now so you can live forever with him? Doesn't that make sense? Reason number two. Second big excuse is right in Romans chapter two. This one's much quicker and going to make you even more uncomfortable. I'm just going to let you know. I have mastered the art of making people uncomfortable. I used to like theater where I made people want to clap. Now I've mastered the ability for wanting them to give me the middle finger. I just really, I've tapped into it. It's like a special gift. Some of you just like putting it down now, I know, but just, you get me later. Get me later, I'll be, I'll appreciate it on the way out, all right? Number two, I'm only serious, relax. You are without excuse because of God's creation, that's one. And you are without excuse. Because of your conscience. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Now, if this helps you, great. If you could use this with somebody else, great. Romans 2, 14 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written In their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Even if you never came to church, even if you never opened the Bible, can I tell you, God's got a man on the inside. God's got somebody on the inside of you that can help him out and let them know that God is right and God is real and God is just. You see verse number 15? Verse number 15 says that your creator wrote his law on your heart. That's why every culture, I don't care where they're from, every culture knows it's wrong to hurt an innocent child. I don't care if they're from the bush and they've never seen a white man in their life. They know it's wrong. To hurt an innocent child. That's why even a pagan in the bush who's never even seen a Bible knows 
deep down, you shouldn't steal. They know it. You say, why do they know it? Because your creator God is a holy God. And he made you in his image and likeness. And he hardwired you. He hardwired you to be a moral being like he is. Now it's broken because of sin, but there's a vestige of it there. You have the capacity to be moral, to think about things that are right and things that are wrong and to make moral judgments because you are made in the image of one who is a holy God who does that all the time. And God's man on the inside, if you look at verse 15, is your conscience. Your conscience is like God's built-in alarm. He lets you know when you're doing right according to God's law. He lets you know when you're doing wrong according to God's law. And when you do what you know is wrong, your conscience, the Bible says, accuses you. Right? That little voice jumps up and says, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't look at that. Am I touching a nerve? <laughs> right? And when you do what you know is right, like maybe come to church, read the Bible, pray, thank God, honor your parents. When you do things that you know is right, you know what your conscience does? Your conscience excuses you. Your conscience says, that's right, that's good, keep doing that, that's a blessing. That is not the result of evolution. That is not the result of your upbringing. That is how God made you on the inside. Listen, if you see a gazelle, right? Let's say we watch our little National Geographic. We go on a safari, right? I know you're going to get ready to go on safari, right? We go on safari. Ray, you give me that look. Maybe we're going on safari. I don't know. But if you're going on safari and you're riding the back of that Jeep and we're going on safari, guess what? If you see a gazelle killed by a lion, nobody sheds a tear. You know what we say? That's nature. That's like the way it is. But you know what? When you turn on the news, like I did this week, and you see a girl killed by a stray bullet in the Bronx, you know what happens? Everybody mourns. Everybody says, that shouldn't be. That's tragic. You say, what is that? Something deep inside of you saying, that's wrong. That's not right. That shouldn't be. It happens on your personal life. The first time, you lied to your parents. I know some of you never did. But the first time, I know you guys definitely never did. The first time, somebody again, he's squirming. The first time, right? I'm only joking. The first time you lied to your parents, you know what happened? Something bothered you. You know what that something was? It was your conscience trying to plead with you. And the first time you took that something that wasn't yours, whether it was something from the store or something from somebody else, you know what? You hesitated. You know why? Because that was your conscience. You know what the word conscience means? The word conscience is two words. Con, science. Con means with. Science means knowledge. It means that God wrote the knowledge of His law on your heart. And your conscience is like an alarm going off when you violate what you know is wrong. When you violate that, your conscience goes, whoa, 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 whoa. At least it tries to. But you know what you could do? 
If you get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow, say amen. Amen. Right? Amen. There's my people, right? Them that seek me early are going to find me, the Bible says, right? But you get up there, right? You know what you could do to your alarms, which I do at 445? You could silence them. You know, you set the alarm at 445, but I know I can sleep till 515, so I keep snoozing it. And your conscience is in foolproof, because you know what you could do to your conscience? You can keep hitting snooze. You could take that alarm clock, when we used to have alarm clocks, and throw them across the room. And you could take your conscience, and you can shut your conscience up, and you can sear your conscience, and you can burn it so it gets so callous, it doesn't even register anymore on you. That's why it doesn't bother you anymore when you lie to your parents. Because you did it once, twice, 20 times. Now it's like, eh, what's the big deal? Your conscience is defiled. Your conscience is callous. That's why you don't feel anything anymore when you take that thing that isn't yours because you've done it so many times. You cheated the boss so many times. You cheated your friend so many times. You cheated your whatever so many times. You took it so many times. You've seared your conscience. You've burned it so much that it's like a dull thing now. It doesn't register anymore. And you're just like, ah. But the first time you felt it, And the first time it bothered you. And brethren, you can shut your conscience up so much that you look in the mirror and think you're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty good person. I'm not so bad. I'm not like them that I see on TV. Now look at Romans 1.28. I'm almost done. Look at Romans. Some of you are very dumb, but I'm almost done. I'm happy to see everybody today. I'm just busting around, making jokes. Right, Patsy? We're just making jokes here, right? That's it, right? He's eight, by the way, all right? If you have a question, see Patsy. Right. <clears throat> Romans 1, 28. The Bible says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers. By the way, God put disobedient to parents in the same list as murder. So moms and dads, you're welcome, okay? All right? (laughs) Without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who... Knowing the judgment of God, that they which do such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, thou judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. You know what God's saying? You can see all that evil out there and you can judge all that evil out there. But you're inexcusable because you can judge others, but you won't judge yourself. That's what God says. You could point out there and say, that's not right. That's wrong. That person deserves justice. But when you point that finger at somebody else, you got three fingers pointing back at you. 
And God says the fact that you can make a moral judgment about anything means you're without excuse. You're inexcusable. You know, um, on March 10th of this year, a lot of you heard about this, an 87-year-old grandmother was shoved to her death by 28th Street in the city. Lady just walked over, pushed her on her back, she busted her head, and five days later she died. You know, some of you are shaking your head. You know what you're saying to yourself? You're saying, that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? That's horrible. Okay? If you don't think that's horrible, go out in the middle of the field, dig a hole that's 10 feet deep, jump in, throw me the shovel, and stay there. All right? If you don't think it's horrible to walk up to an innocent old lady and kill her, there's something wrong with you. Everybody sitting here with that face on, shaking their heads, going like this, is admitting that that's wrong. How about last Sunday? Last Sunday, 10 people are shot to death in Buffalo going food shopping. Know what you say to yourself? That's evil. That's wicked. That's tragic. That's disturbing. There should be justice. Does anybody else think there should be justice for that? I mean, I'm not trying to get you to pick it, but that's something really messed up with the world when stuff like that goes on. Can I just tell you something? I'm not getting political, but can I tell you this? The moment you make a moral judgment like that, you're inexcusable because you just outed yourself. You just said in front of God and everybody, you know there's a right and you know there's a wrong. You know there's an objective morality that you can't get away from. You know it. You admitted it, God is saying. All that talk of relativism and situation ethics, you know what that is? That's a big excuse to get around God's judgment. That's what it is. Hey, if anybody is sane here, just say amen. Anybody sane? Okay. If you're not sane, just keep it to yourself. But how come every sane person out there would rise up with me and condemn Adolf Hitler? Right? Can we all agree, sane people, that Adolf Hitler was a bad guy? Just nod your heads if you think he was a bad guy, right? right? How come you all nod your heads? Not just because I say so. What happened to situation ethics? What happened to judge not lest ye be judged? Right? What happened to, well, that's his truth and this is my truth. You see, when push comes to shove, all those excuses go out the window. It's all nonsense. You're inexcusable because you know there's a right and you know there's a wrong. You know when your conscience condemns evil? You admit to God that there is a right and there is a wrong in the world. Amen. You admit it. That's why God says, you're inexcusable. You're judging other people, but you won't judge yourselves. Amen. Romans chapter 1 says, the natural man is without excuse. Why? Because of creation. And God says it so strong that he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. God says, you'd be a fool to think that all this came from nothing. But Romans chapter 2 says that the moral man is just as inexcusable because of his conscience. Because inside, he knows he's right or wrong. And he knows he's under God's judgment. But he won't admit it. Look at Romans chapter 2. We've got just two verses left, two stops left. Romans 2. 
So I want to do a little test on you right now. If you think you're a good person who doesn't need God, I just want you to try God's good test. Right? Romans chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, Behold, thou art called a Jew. Right? He's speaking to the moral people, to the upstanding people, to the religious people. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest His will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. He says to them, you guys think you're pretty good people, huh? He goes, you think you know what the Bible says, huh? Then God says, why don't you try my test? Verse number seven, uh, 21. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself, Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? You know what he's saying in verse 21? He says, hey, if you know it's a sin to steal... Have you ever stolen anything? How about something small? How about time from your boss? How about somebody's joy? How about God's glory? How about a little bit of money from the, from the, from the boss? Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? God says, you know, it's wrong to rob the bank, but if stealing is wrong, then it's wrong all the time. And then he says in verse number, what is that, 22? He says, if you admit adultery is sinful, have you ever looked with lust? Jesus said, looking with lust is the same as adultery in your heart. He says, you want to stand there and say, oh, I've never committed adultery. God says, well, what about your heart? Have you ever looked around? I know summer's coming. You're looking at the wrong people. You're looking at people the wrong way with those things in your mind and those things that you entertain, God says, you're an adulterer at heart. How about verse number, what is that, 22? He says, hey, you wouldn't bow down to an idol. Hey, you're sitting here in church sweating, right? You're sitting here with a Bible sweating. Oh, Pat, I wouldn't bow down to an idol. I'm not worshiping that maple tree over there. Yeah, but do you worship your own ideas? Do you treat what God says like it's nothing? and make it sacrilegious? Can I just tell you right now, that little sting you feel, that little uncomfortableness you feel that makes you shift in your seat right now and hope I move on to the next point really fast, you know what that is right now? That's your conscience waking up. That's God's man on the inside going, he's right, that book is right, you have sinned against God, you're guilty, you're in trouble, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. You see how we are? We want God to judge the murderers and the rapists out there. But if God is good, he's got to judge all sin. 
even down to the little white lies, even down to the little, oh, they're not going to miss it. See, God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God's man on the inside is reminding you right now that you are without excuse. And you need God because His judgment hangs over you like a storm cloud ready to burst. So let's go to Romans 3. We'll finish right there. I've tried to lay out to you in Romans 1 and Romans 2 how badly you need God. This big, powerful God that we're going to enjoy His Son and enjoy His food and enjoy His bounty today, this big, powerful God made you. You're accountable to Him. And this big, powerful God is holy and righteous and, and pure and so bright that He can't even look upon evil and you know you've sinned against Him and you're accountable to Him. You need God. And you know what happens? You know what happens? People make all kinds of excuses. They make all kinds of excuses to try and get away from the God they have to deal with. Look at Romans 3. We just got two verses left. Romans 3, look at verse 9 and 10. Look at Romans 3, verse 9 and 10. What then? Are we better than they? He's saying if you're Jewish or you're Gentile, does it really make a difference? Whether you've read the Bible or never read the Bible, he's saying, what then? Are we the Jews better than they, the Gentiles? No. In no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Whoever you are today, walking by, sitting here for the first time or the last time, you are without excuse when it comes to this book. You are without excuse. And I know a thousand things are going to try to take your mind away from this moment right now. And right now, God wants to say, forget the lunch. Right now, you're going to stand mano a mano with your creator one day. And you're not going to be able to pull, but I didn't know. But I thought you weren't real. But I figured, hey, everybody else was doing it. God says, whether you've heard the Bible before or never heard the Bible before, God says you're without excuse. You're without excuse. The natural man knows there is a God by looking at creation. That you could take a seed and put it in the ground and see life. And if you're saved here today, say amen. amen. You know what you are? You're a testimony of God's continued creation. Because he could take a seed, the word of God, put it in the ground that's called you. You know what happens? New life springs up. You're looking at a room full of miracles and a room and a whole expanse of a testimony that God is real because God is the creator. But you know what? Forget just that. The moral man knows he is guilty before God by listening to his conscience. If you would just turn off the noise, you'd realize, shut off the phone, go home tonight, turn everything off, and just sit there and pray for the first time in your life and say, God... Show up. God, testify to this. God, bear witness. You know what? I guarantee 
God would testify to it. Because God is alive and well, but it's so noisy and there's so many distractions and so many things trying to take you away from the God that loves you that He tries to keep us busy. The phone goes off, the car pulls up, the lights flash, you know, the people walk around, you know, the buzz, the bee buzzes by. Everything is trying to distract you from this moment right now. It's amazing. It's happening right around you right now. He's trying to distract you from God trying to deal with you right now. That He wants you to see that He's there. Now let's finish in verse 19 to 26. What do I do, Pat? Hey, if God was big enough to make you, and God is big enough to have mercy on you, you know what there's no excuse for? There is no excuse that anybody sitting here goes to hell because God has made a way for everyone to go to heaven. There is no excuse for going to hell if God made a way for you to go to heaven. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You know how you get that salvation? Look at verse 19 and 20. First, you got to admit that you are guilty before God. The Bible says that every mouth may be stopped. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses for why you run away from God. They're just excuses, guys. God says, accept the fact that you're guilty. Could you imagine my son with the scans they showed him? They said, look, you got leukemia. Look, I put your blood under the photometry. Look, there are the blasts right there. There are the weird things right there. They showed it to us on the screen. We saw it. Imagine if I said, no, I don't believe you. And God holds out His Word, and God holds out His law, and He says, guys, just admit it. All I had to do to those doctors was admit my son had a sickness, and then they flew into action and started working the cure. All you've got to do first is admit that you're guilty before the God you just tried to scorn. You know what that God will do? He'll move in and try to help you. But the first step of any solution is admitting There's a problem. And then verse 20 and 22 is the second step. He talks about grace. He talks about Jesus. He talks about what Jesus Christ did. The second thing you got to do is you got to accept God's grace in sending a gift to pay your sin debt to God. He says right there, he says, 
The faith of Jesus Christ is unto all and upon all them that believe. He says, if you would just believe and trust and accept that I did what had to be done to justify you, you could be saved. Amen. When those guys said, hey, your son's got leukemia, I said, what do I do? They said, don't worry. We got it all planned out. We've worked it all out already. We've tried it. We've tested. We've proven it. We know it works. Can I tell you what the empty tomb is? The empty tomb is God saying, the cross worked. That man on the cross was enough. When he said it is finished, he did everything he had to do. He worked it all out so your soul could be healed. So what's left? Verse number 24, 25, and 26. He says, you just got to take the justifier. You just got to believe on Jesus Christ. You've just got to ask for the gift Jesus Christ bought to be applied to your sin debt by God. Admit that you're a sinner, accept that Jesus Christ paid for your sins and you could do nothing else to help yourself and then ask for that gift to be applied to your account, right? When I asked those doctors, what do I do? They said, just sign here and we'll take care of everything. And on October, you know what? When they draw my son's biopsy, it was clear. The leukemia was gone. Because I trusted the physician and I signed on the dotted line and they had the cure available. They've worked it through. You know what you got to do? Admit there's a problem. Accept the gift and sign on the dotted line by taking Jesus Christ by faith. You know what? He worked it all out. He can heal you. Listen, man. If Jesus Christ died so you wouldn't go to hell, there's no excuse for not getting saved. You're without excuse. Why would you ever go to hell and not enjoy heaven if Jesus Christ has made the way? You're without excuse. A teacher like me, listen, I may accept your alibi. Okay, your dog ate your Wi-Fi. Your dad wiped his butt with your homework, whatever it is. I might accept that because, frankly, I don't want to see that homework after your dad took it into the bathroom. You know what a teacher might also do? A teacher might take his grade book and he might mark excused. I'll excuse you for this. But you know what God's book only has two grades in it? Saved or lost. No extension. No do-over. No, I'll give you another shot. No maybe. No, that was a nice message, Pat. I'll see you next year. It's either saved or lost. Everybody sitting here today or up there in the playground, or over there in the parking lot, everybody on planet Earth, and that includes you, is either saved or lost. You're born lost. And God wants to slide you to the saved column by taking Jesus Christ. But you got to make the move. you got to come to Him. you got to admit, you got to accept, and you got to ask. Because, so let me ask, are you saved? Are you doing what God said to do? Don't answer that out loud. (laughs) If not, what's your excuse? You're without excuse. So let's do something. Eli, let's grab those pieces of paper. And you can stay seated if you want. Let's just flip it over. And let's just sing this one up here. You can stop the, the message, Josh. But there's another.